because I saw that other people were doing what I wanted to do. And that felt comforting. You know, I was like admiring that they had what I perceived as strength and courage and confidence and all of these things that I was really wanting for myself. I was wanting to kind of step into that kind of empowered feeling and knowing that who I am and what I do and how I choose to live my life isn't intrinsically wrong. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy! Welcome to episode 248. We're Finn and Emma, and today we have an interview with Brie, who is amazing. We love her energy in this conversation, and it's just so much fun. Yeah, Brie has done a lot, uh, as, <laughs> yes. as she'll talk about. Uh, she's explored swinging, kink, polyamory, burlesque, so many different forms of just living her authentic self. And actually, fun story, she'll talk about this, but she did a burlesque performance at her own baby shower. Yes, I was going to say she has a kid and she's also been married in the past and all of these, just there's a lot to this story and it's amazing. One other fun fact about Brie is that she is a coach and she's going to talk about how that works for her and the types of people she works with at the end of the episode. But if you would like to learn more about her, you can find her at her website, Liberate Your Love. And the links to that are in the podcast player show notes or on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Click on the podcast tab and you'll see links there as well as photos of Brie and a little bit more about Brie as well. So please check that out and go and support her work. Again, what an awesome, badass human. Thank you, Brie, for coming on the show. Yes, thank you, thank you. Before we jump into her interview, a couple of announcements. First up, yesterday, that's August 9th, we were on the Multi-Amory podcast, which we're super excited about. That's episode 384 on Multi-Amory, and we, Finn and I were answering questions from their patrons. Well, we're trying. We were trying. I think we did a good job. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I feel like their Patreon community is like the Oxford. <laughs> and we're like, we're these like, I don't know, we're doing, oh. we're rolling in Oxford trying to give advice to these like polyamorous professionals. I, I don't know. I give us a little more credit. I clearly. <laughs> anyway. At least was, you do. <laughs> it was a fantastic conversation with the multi-amory team and we're really grateful. So go over and check out that episode. Yeah. Links will be in the show notes as well. Same place they were for Bree's website. Normalizingnonmonogamy.com. And while we're talking about Patreon. Well, we were sort of talking about it, but now we're really talking about it. <laughs> we wanted to say a huge thank you to our Patreon supporters. We are creeping up on like 250 supporters, and that's so exciting. So Woo! thank you to everybody who is a part of that community. If you want to learn more about what our community is like, head over to our show notes again and listen to the conversation we had as part of one of our Focus Fridays from back in July with the We Got a Thing podcast. We talk all about community and how we're building it. And so we won't, we won't bore you here with it, but know that you can go sign up on our website. Just click on the Patreon tab and it's pretty straightforward. So hopefully we'll see you there. And again, thank you to everybody who is a part of that community. Also a quick reminder, our next 
virtual meet and greet is coming up on August 30th. These are open to anyone. You just must be kind and respectful and open-minded. Uh, you can go to our website and click on the community events tab to find the virtual events there and sign up. And what we would really, really encourage you to do on this meet and greet, wear your new shirt. Yes, wear your new Give Love shirt. So we know there's about 150 of you out there rocking these Give Love shirts that we sold a couple weeks ago. And we would love to see all of you on the meet and greet rocking them. And yeah, we're going to wear ours and no pants. <laughs> You're already already scripting our outfits for that night. Well, that's my outfit most nights. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> so it's, I'm just going to make it an, a usual night. But uh, the shirts are still available. So perhaps you want one. You didn't get one. If you'd like one now, you can head over to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. And right on the homepage there, there is a link to get the shirts or, again, in your podcast player or in the show notes. And they're just a couple bucks more because we're not ordering them in bulk this time. So that's all we have to say here. We'd love to hear from you. Reach out to us. Send us an email. Send us a voicemail uh, on our website. Again, click the Contact Us tab and we will get back to you. Yes. And now let's go talk to Brie. Let's do it. Welcome to the podcast, Brie. We're excited to talk to you today and dive into learning all about you. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's something I get really excited about, new opportunities to talk about. And, you know, I just love, I'm an advocate for um, living fully expressed really exploring, discovering, uncovering your sexual expression and how empowering that can feel. And um, so every opportunity feels like a win for me if I get to show up in the world largely and loudly and hopefully give a few other people some permission to do uh, to do the same or even just dip their toe in the water. You know, we're all on a different journey. So I'm really excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're excited to give you that platform. And I mean, maybe the best place to start is just to introduce yourself. Like who, who is Brie and why are, why are we even talking to Brie today? <laughs> who is Brie? That's a deep. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm Brie. My name is Brie Riley. My pronouns are she, her. And um, I have just been on this journey of um, exploring my sexuality for and growing and healing through trauma and exploring the ways that that shows up inside of love and relationships and sex. And um, it's been a journey since as long as I can remember. And I know we're probably going to get into that story in a minute, um, but I've now transitioned and trained and certified with trauma training. I work with somatic techniques, um, uh, aspecting work and mediation, a lot of NVC, which is nonviolent communication. And uh, yeah, I've kind of transitioned into being now of service to others because it's been such a beautiful expansion and journey for me thus far in my life. So uh, I want to, I want to be there to support others through that as well. I know, yeah. I know, I know just growing up and being in the exploration of like exploring who you are and what you want your life to look like and being the own creator and designing your own life and your lifestyle and your relationship style and your sexual orientation and your sexual identification. And like all of that is, um, can or has been for me overwhelming at times. And I really 
I really look up to the people who have mentored me in my life and I really value community support and, mm-hmm. and having these kinds of conversations. So I want to kind of be that beacon for others now as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah love it. Love That's it. amazing. Have you, have you always been sort of this person who like drives towards being the authentic, be yourself, don't hold anything back? Has that always been the way that Brie showed up in the world or did it, did you used to have a different approach? Yeah. Um, fall. <laughs> I feel like I, when you look at the scope of like your whole life, these, que- you could right? answer this question differently in different phases of your life. Right. So if you're asking, have I always been this way? I would say that since I was a kid, I've always been pretty expressed and outgoing. Um, but then I feel like, you know, between maybe, you know, my kind of coming of age, my, teen years, through my young adulthood, um, there was a lot of denial that I had in my life around my sexuality and a lot of things I was afraid of. And so I would maybe show up very fully with maybe one social circle and then, well, you know what, I'll say I showed up, I've always showed up fully sexually expressed in all social circles, just not with family. So that's, that was kind of my, that was kind of my, my boundary or my limit at, at that point in my life. And, um, and then I've also been in relationships. I was in a marriage for, I was in that relationship for, uh, over 10 years and he had a lot of, um, he had a lot of personal boundaries around what he was willing to share and not share. Um, and so that, that did in that point of my life, in that relationship, kind of stifle the way I was, I felt able and free to express and talk about these things. And, um, and now I'm fully, fully out. I'm as out as they get. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And do you, do you mind sharing right now what your relationship structure looks like? Yeah. Uh, so I identify as polyamorous or I should say I am polyamorous. It doesn't really feel like something I am identifying or gravitating to. It really just is who I am. I do feel like that is something that's always been a part of me, even before I had the language for it. Um, when I look back over my life, even in my like earliest relationships, I was always wanting and um, desiring integrating multiple relationships before I was educated around conscious sexuality and conscious non-monogamy. It was a lot of like sexual invitations. I wanted to invite thirds into my, with my partner and I, even starting at a really young age, like those were kind of a lot of my first experiences. And now I realize that I just want to love. <laughs> I've got a big heart and the way I experience love, and I understand it's, it may not be like this for everyone, but I, I feel that the way I experience love is when I have, when I have, when I'm open to more, I have more, I have more overflowing from me. I get to give more, like everything just becomes an addition And it's not like this limited pie chart of love that I have and I can allot it to different people or, or to my, you know, it just becomes this, this ever expanding limitless love for me, which is, I think something I really value in, um, 
I feel like not a lot of people, or I guess I'll keep it personal. I don't know if I ever experienced what unconditional love was. And so knowing how much I, I wanted that, or I needed that, or I deserve that, right. That's, that's kind of the gift I want to give to others because I value it so highly. So, yeah. so I'm not answering the question directly. Sorry, I'm getting off track. I get really passionate about talking about you're, monogamy. Um, you're totally good. Yeah. My relationship structure currently is, uh, so I am polyamorous. I have a, like an anchor partner or a primary partner. Um, I tend to veer away from labels, but I also know that it helps people kind of understand that we're doing things differently and it gives people a kind of a framework to look inside. I also have, um, for, again, for lack of better words, I'll call him a boyfriend who I get to see maybe a few times a month, which is wonderful on a totally different relationship style and structure. And I have a sprinkling and a spattering of lovers kind of across the country who I only get to see periodically, but I always hold deeply in my heart. Yeah. I love that. And I think it's amazing just to like hear about the breadth of like you have like this anchory kind of primary thing, but then you have like a boyfriend that you see periodically and then you have some other partners that are like even less frequent, but yet they all sort of hold this unconditional love space with you regardless of how many times a month or a week you get to see them. And I think that's and a really just important thing to like bring to light is that it's like, it's not about how often maybe you see somebody doesn't really define your connection to them. Yeah. Yeah. We get to define that connection. Right. I mean, each of those individuals, we have ongoing conversations and check-ins around how is this type, how is this frequency of connection, the style of connection. Is this still working for you? Do you feel like there's something lacking? Are you desiring something more? Do you have, do you have any different, do you have any unspoken expectations of me? Like, are we still on the same page? And uh, so those are kind of conversations that need to continually happen. And I, and I also, I've, I shouldn't forget to mention that the community I'm a part of is incredible. Uh, I'm in Southern California and it's kind of a hub for some of the best leaders in uh, Tantra practices and ethical non-monogamy and um, just safer sex like educators and all of that. And it's amazing. And I do have kind of a, sometimes I call myself community sexual. (laughs) (laughs) If you're, if I, I'm, I love connecting with my community. That's my tribe. It's what I, what I call family, (laughs) which sounds a little kinky, (laughs) 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 but, um, but yeah, I also, you know, we have lots of play parties and we get together and we have our fun, um, nights of creation or ritual or straight out orgies and like, but we all kind of operate in the same um, with the same protocols of uh, communication and sexual health practices and transparency. And we, there's a, there's a deep level of trust and bond. And there's also a high level of accountability because everyone's screwing everyone. So we all need to look out for each other in that little bubble, you know? So that's kind of a fun, a fun thing that I, 
I've I've gotten to create in my life as well. Yeah, that's amazing. And I I think one of the things that like you touched on kind of leading into this was and you and I asked the question like have you always sort of been pushing the limits or norms showing up this way, right? And it sounds like you said like even from a very early age you were like inviting a third into the bedroom or into different experiences and so it sounds like you have sort of been pushing the limits of like what everybody else says is like hey this is what it's supposed to look like and you've kind of been like yeah but what if we like throw some sprinkles on there or like mix it up a little bit and who doesn't want sprinkles right (laughs) (laughs) so I, i would love if you'd be able to like talk a little bit about like the the let's say the early days of you pushing against the norms that were like laid at your feet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I feel like growing up, I grew up as a child entertainer um, in the singing, TV and film, musical theater. Um, So it was kind of already a very out there expressed, like use your voice, use your body. Like I was always really comfortable in my body and wearing kind of tiny outfits. And, and so But I even remember in that world, like I used to, I used to try and do things as a, as a young kid, like I just wanted to be expressed. I wanted, I wanted people to like see what I had. And by people, I mean my other little girlfriends, right? Like I was like, did you know we had this? Oh my gosh. Like I just was just always really excited to learn. And like, I was, I started masturbating really young. Like I was always kind of exploring, discovering my body, my pleasure. And I would say that it kind of did become, um, I became like the, the, the girl who shocked people, you know, like to, to the, to the predictable point of shock where that, what I would say just stopped shocking people. Right. Cause they're like, of course, Brie would say that, right. Like say that thing that, none of us have ever said or that we thought about, but never actually tried, or, you know, I had had those experiences. And I also, I think a big part of my, um, really, I I grew up really religious. I grew up as like a Bible thumping, testifying Jesus freak. I was like a little, I've got a proverb tattooed on my ankle. It was my first tattoo I got, you know, now I'm covered in them, but, um, as my only religious tattoo, (laughs) but, um, that I was, I was, I even remember being really curious. Like I've always wanted to find myself. I've never wanted people to tell me who I am or tell me what I can and can't do. So even in my religious upbringing, it was, I remember going to my first, I kind of snuck in with a fake ID. I grew up in Canada and I went to this like warehouse dungeon party, huge, it's huge party, like a massive dungeon party. And I walked in and the first thing I see (laughs) is this, this, um, this person standing on a podium with this giant steel cock strapped on and hanging around their necks with a, with like a circular saw grinding the big giant steel cock and making sparks fly over people as they were walking in. walking in and being like, I belong here. Like just, there were, there were freak shows everywhere and there were performances. And I mean, it was just unbelievable. And you know, little 90 year old men like carrying each other around on leashes. And 
I remember it feeling for the first time that I was like, this is literally everything I have been taught my whole life is evil and wicked and wrong and sinful. And I have never felt so much love in my entire life. And I, I just remember that was a huge epiphany moment for me. I was like, this is my religion. This yeah. is God. People being completely accepting of one another and expressing themselves fully without judgment or shame or guilt. It was just a thing of beauty. And that was kind of a big pivotal moment for me in my life. And so that was kind of where I ended in my young adult journey. Yeah. Because yeah. approximately how old were you at that point? I was probably, um, oh gosh, that party, it was probably 17 or 18. Okay. So yeah, it's still, still, um, in your teenage years. I was just curious to put some context in that, but it's so amazing that you were like walking in there and just like uh, feeling like you're home almost like Mm. this is, this is where I belong. This is, and yet, was there a part of you at all that was questioned? Well, what? This isn't like I've been taught my whole life that this is all evil. Yeah. How did you work through that? Well, I don't know if it was completely conscious at the time, right? I think in now being 36, I can look back at it and I can say, oh, I was wanting to release my own shame. And that's why it felt super comfortable. And, you know, there's a resonance that you feel with people. And there's like, I know there was guilt that I carried for like, um, wanting to explore my sexuality as a young person and growing up in like a, a religious background. And, um, so I think a big part of why it felt so good for me is because I saw that other people were doing what I wanted to do and that felt comforting. You know, I was like admiring that they had what I perceived as strength and courage and confidence and all of these things that I was really wanting for myself. I was wanting to kind of step into that kind of empowered feeling and knowing that who I am and what I do and how I choose to live my life isn't intrinsically wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that explains the giant steel cock tattoo that is now on the, on the other on the other ankle to balance yeah, right. out the, the to balance out. You might be inspiring me. I do have my I have shibari rope tied prayer hands though. Where there you I, go. I, I I say I'm I'm God submissive. I submit to my kinky God. It's like a big tie. My sex and my spirituality now are very integrated, and that that that's kind of a full circle thing, right? Because I went through a major separation with. Um, not being and not finding the congruency, not being able to see that my sex and my spirituality were that I, they felt very separate to me. Like I couldn't have one without the other. So that's kind of a more recent journey in the last five years or so that they've become very integrated for me. And they're actually the same thing. Yeah. Well, I want to circle. I want, I want to come back to that for sure, because I think that's a, a really important and beautiful conversation to have, but I'm curious. So like, you leave you leave this experience at this club uh, or at this space, this kind of kinky sex positive space. And now you're back out into the world like everything just got turned upside down. Where do you like where do you take things from there? Well, for me, it was like everything just got turned up. <laughs> right, right, right. It didn't get turned upside down. This whole new world just opened up to me. I was hungry. 
after that experience, I got hungry. I sought out every kind of online forum. I found all the clubs locally, all the different swinger parties and kink clubs and underground dungeons. And I just saw, I bought memberships at all of them and I went to as many as I could and I met as many people as I could. It was, um, I'm, I've kind of always been a seeker and a searcher. And when I kind of feel aligned with the direction that I'm heading in, I'm like a speedboat, you know, I don't, I'm not like a tiptoer. I just start sprinting into that arena. So yeah, I mean, I just, I started going to lifestyle resorts and swinger conventions and whatever I could find. I also got involved as an entertainer and a singer. I got involved in doing burlesque, which is a kind of a whole different subculture. And it's again, another realm of being sexually expressed, using your body, using your voice, like releasing shame, uh, honoring yourself in different ways and getting to engage with people in that, in that kind of light. And it's, it's not necessarily considered as taboo. So I've kind of always been trying to find ways to integrate more sexuality uh, into my, my like vanilla life, although it has never really been very (laughs) vanilla, but, um, ways that are kind of either more socially accepted or more socially normative, right. That, that I can kind of be an example to show people that, um, you know, showing your body or talking about sex doesn't have to be this big, scary thing. Like, can I actually work it into my line of work? Can I work it into the conversations I have or how I meet people or, and it's, it's worked for me. (laughs) Well, and that you're still, uh, a productive member of society, right? You're not this like outlier who's like, well, yeah, but Brie talks about sex, so we can't go there, right? Like you, you show up and are a very, yeah, productive, healthy, happy person yeah. in your day to day. I try to be, I try to be, I, I really feel like people are waiting for permission. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, if I start talking about something um, personal, and, and I sense that they're feeling uncomfortable, then I, I kind of might ask them how they're feeling or, you know, like mm-hmm. it's not, it's not, they're not opinions that I'm, that I force onto people. Right. But exactly. I also don't, I don't want to hide. And I don't, I did mm-hmm. spend a lot of, a lot of years, a lot of my young adulthood kind of hiding and wearing, wearing a mask and being like, you know, the, the good girl and the, so that's something that I'm not willing to do anymore. That's kind of a personal boundary. And it doesn't have to mean that I need to be out there in your face and making you kind of take in everything I want. Yeah, you don't have to force people to be uncomfortable, right? To be out. Like you can you can sort of chameleon in with who you're who you're around and still be yourself. Yeah, I would say though that most of my experiences when I do, and I, I very frequently talk about what line of work I'm in and what I do and uh, my stories. And um, I don't know if I've ever had an experience where someone, um, where I've gotten the, either gotten the feeling or mm, that might be a little naive. Maybe I'm not looking hard enough, but where someone has said like, Oh my God, I can't, that's, I can't hear about that. Like I am yeah. almost always 99% of the time met with, Whoa, my God, really? Like, that's not for me. I might get that a lot. Right. Like, that's not for me. I can't do that. I don't know. I don't know how you do that, but like, tell me more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Like curiosity. There's, still, there's still a lot of curiosity. Yeah, totally. 
versus the like I can't even clutch my pearls and run away right into yeah. the into the night. And yeah. Those might not be the people who I'm talking to anyways. So <laughs> yeah, very valid point. Yeah. yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it's maybe it's a little biased. My judgment's a little biased, but yeah. And and so like moving forward, you you shared earlier that you were in a 10-year relationship or a 10-year marriage, roughly. When you entered that sort of stage of life, did you bring this openness with you? Did you bring non-monogamy with you? Or how did how did that come to be and how did that evolve? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was exploring a lot of my um, where So my sexuality has been very fluid throughout my life. So at that point, mm-hmm. when I met my husband, I was... I was really engaging with my bisexuality. And so that was kind of this, um, it was kind of, it felt like an easy in that was, <laughs> it was something that my partner at the time didn't, uh, feel threatened by at all. Um, mm-hmm. so engaging with other women and bringing other women into our sexual dynamic was kind of a very easy transition. It's something we started. He got a, um, a casual girlfriend for, again, lack of a better word, but she was, you know, kind of a, a playmate of his and ours about six months into our dating relationship. And so we were, um, hmm. we engaged with other women for about seven years. Um, it was, he was never comfortable within those seven years with me engaging with another man. So we didn't, I didn't pursue that. I kind of wanted to make sure we were moving at a tempo that felt good for both of us. And it also wasn't totally in my desire. I'm not, I'm not sure if that was me caretaking or deny abandoning my own needs. When I look back, I can have a different perspective, but at the time that felt, that felt okay for me. And when I got pregnant, (laughs) I panicked. Those like pregnancy hormones kicked in and I was like, what if my body changes? What if I become asexual? What if no one wants me? Oh my God. You know, all the panic that comes up with the idea of your life changing and not having any idea what that's going to look like. I then started asserting my desire for wanting to be with another man. (laughs) So, um, we tried it once when I was about three months pregnant and it didn't quite work out. And so the first time I actually had intercourse with another man, I was about seven or eight months pregnant. <laughs> and wow. it, was, wow. it was a great memory. Again, I used, uh, I used to host um, monthly uh, play parties at our house. And so this was kind of the end of the night of a play party. And it ended up being like a big group of people on our bed and, I finally got my like pre-baby bucket list wish for dick. It was great. <laughs> it's tough to put that on the registry. <laughs> not with my friends, it's not. <laughs> gotcha. Valid. It's true. I was like, yeah. everyone signs up. The it showed up with bows tied around themselves, knocking up my door. I'm sure if I put that on the registry. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. The, 
The only time Dick in the Box is actually welcome is, <laughs> um, is at Bree's, Bree's baby shower. Oh, no. I did, our baby shower was great. I actually did a whole burlesque performance and everything with my big, with my big belly. And I mean, yeah, it was, it was great. So, so that was kind of, so we then after, uh, you know, and a lot did change for me after I had my son who's seven now. My body did change. I kind of, I, I did lose a lot of libido and I it kind of have the birth of my son kind of brought up a lot of my own child undealt with childhood trauma that I ended up having to deal with. I had very extreme postpartum depression and um, I did kind of lose touch with my sexuality. And that was really scary for me because it has been such a big part of who I am. Um, so it took a few years of like, just really getting the support I needed and, and finding my way back to myself, but in a more authentic way without the masks and without the denial. And it's been an incredible healing journey. And that did put a big strain on my relationship. Basically my, my husband at the time ended up getting a, having a girlfriend, having a playmate. She moved in with us. She was actually helping. She was kind of a third parent. We co-parented for about four years and they kind of fell in love and I was very supportive of it. It actually felt really supportive for me because I knew that I needed to focus on myself um, during kind of my time of, of healing. And so they ended up developing deeper and deeper into relationship. And that did end up, I know you kind of wanted to bring up challenges, but that was challenging. And I think, mm-hmm. um, as my, my ex-partner might claim now, he doesn't, I have, I have heard him say, and I, I can't necessarily quote him, but I've heard him say that he doesn't know if he's capable of loving more than one person. Mm-hmm. So from my, my experience, what happened was the love was kind of transferred and then they broke up and then it, it, it felt like, I mean, two weeks later, he asked me for a divorce. So it, after their breakup, yeah, after their breakup. So it kind of felt like the love was transferred and it just was, um, it just wasn't there for, uh, for me anymore from his, from his experience. And I think we had, we had spent a lot of time, um, kind of having our needs met through that third relationship, right. With, with, with his partner and who I call my, my, like, my soul sister, my life mate, she's like, we're still like this. And neither of us are with him anymore, which is a habit I have. I really developed very close relationships with my metamor. As you know, Maria Palumbo was, you know, interviewing with you guys a couple of weeks ago and she's one of my closest friends and I date her husband. So <laughs> that is an important relationship for me. Um, yeah. Where, where else would you like me to go with this? There's so many directions. Well, yeah. I think that's amazing and interesting, though, the like, because when you talk to people and they're like, I can't imagine polyamory because, of course, they're just going to like, that's not possible to love two people or love more than one person. So they're going to leave you. And and we've had this a few times on the podcast where like the like all of the stereotypical fears that people would express have like happened to some of these people. And, and it sounds like that was sort of yours, like the love in your sort of experience transferred and it sort of blew a hole in what you saw as like possible, but it sounds like it didn't, 
maybe it didn't destroy the illusion for you that it was possible. It was just like this happened. This it happened. Was it, was, it, it was a painful experience, and um, I wouldn't change anything. <laughs> right. Um, right. My ex and I still have a, a beautiful co-parenting relationship. Um, and the third co-parent is still involved in my son's life. And, you know, I think, I think the big change was that I, I realized, um, through my trauma healing that I had been being very inauthentic and I had been saying for the first seven years of our relationship that I was okay with things I wasn't okay with. And then when right. I transitioned into really owning what was true for me, he, the pendulum swung and then he started feeling like he needed to engage in relationships in ways that wasn't true for him. So yeah, right. knowing yourself and knowing your boundaries and being open to like these expansion and contractions that happen in naturally in relationships that are to be ex totally expected is, um, is a, is a big part of how to manage and navigate these kinds of things. And, you know, I can be fully accountable that I, I wasn't being true to myself. And like you say that some people are like, I can't, I don't think I'm capable of loving more than one person. I would say, I don't think I'm capable of only loving one person. Yeah. Right. It's right. like, it's just as true for me. And when we both kind of owned who we were, we weren't aligned anymore. Yeah. Well, and I, and I, I know Emma wants to jump in here. I just want to say one thing on that. And I think I, I love, because it's so easy to hear like, well, you weren't being authentic. And it's almost like, well, I was, you know, and you could easily say like, well, I was, he was forcing me to be inauthentic. And then you kind of took that, swung the pendulum the other way. And you're like, I'm going to be me. And now all of a sudden he's feeling like, uh, I have to be something that I'm not to maintain this relationship yeah. because we're, we're so, I think we're also conditioned to be like, you, you got into this marriage, you will do anything and everything to make it last. Even right. if that means not being your authentic self, you should sacrifice yourself to be in this relationship. And you, it looks like you both went both through, of them, yeah. you both went through a phase of this and ultimately we're like, ah, we got to put it down. Yeah. And, and let's be amazing friends and co-parents and parents to our child, but let's stop forcing us into boxes that neither of us, like the box I want to be in, he doesn't fit in the box he wants to be in. I don't fit in. Yeah. I mean, I don't and, even have a box. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't put me in a box. <laughs> Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, but, but totally. And it, and it does take, and you know, like I, I will give my ex credit that he is, you know, he is the one who ended up saying this isn't going to work, right? This isn't going to work. I can't see a way through this. And I do have a tendency to kind of, I, 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 li I definitely have tendency to live in that paradigm of like, no, we must do everything to make it work. I must bleed for this relationship. Like, and, um, and, you know, ultimately I think I was choosing comfort over freedom. And, um, and then I realized that the cost was too high, that freedom is a huge value for me. Autonomy. Um, yeah, the right to make my own decisions about what I do with my body and who I do it with. And, um, and it's, and it, it, I wasn't in the no blame phase from the get go. 
I had a lot of anger and resentment and I blame, I was a huge victim. I love being a victim. It's my favorite survival strategy. Um, it's the great way not to be held accountable for anything, right? Just blame others. Um, so it's, it, it takes effort and intention and focus and a dedication to yourself and to growing into love and mostly with yourself, you know? So it hasn't been an easy journey and it's one that I wouldn't trade for the world. Yeah. Right. I love that. And I'm sorry, I cut you off. I'm no, not... you didn't. That's okay. <laughs> That's a first. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm just enjoying this conversation and, and, you know, I I love that you say that it was a challenging, challenging time. I, you know, I was the victim in that I was hard. I had to do this all, but I wouldn't change it. And so I'd love if you could talk a little bit about the journey since that relationship ended and, and how you've worked through the, um, the hurt there and the pieces that you struggled with and come out to where you're at today. Yeah. Um, which I realize is a very big question. So feel free to take in pieces however you want. Yeah, no, that's okay. I'm, I don't, this is really interesting. I haven't, I haven't talked really about timeline stuff like this in a, in a, in a while. I don't know. Some, some of these things are the first times I'm thinking about it. I'm like, Oh my God. Cause it still actually feels really new. Like it still feels like I'm transitioning somehow. Right. Our divorce actually isn't even finalized yet. Albeit it's taken like two and a half times longer than it usually takes. It's been a very complex divorce process. So it still kind of feels like that chapter hasn't really completed yet. And trying to establish a new relational dynamic without the power dynamics, without like the quick to trigger history that we still carry. It's really challenging to do that when we're still actually not divorced. Like, so, um, although we have been living our own complete separate lives and doing our own things and in our own relationships and all of that, we also both agree that it is hard for us to, like you, you, you stated that, uh, it's great that we're friends and I wouldn't necessarily call us friends. I would say we have a great co-parenting relationship because we are both really focused on how to optimize this experience and be honest about it, but also be able to support our son through his transition. Cause I think uh, he's the one who has no choice in what happened. And we really hold our, hold ourselves in high responsibility for making sure that that transition is, is focused and focused to be most beneficial for him. Um, but I would say that immediately I kind of went into rebellion. Honestly, I dove into a triad real quick. I, a big part of that, that triad relationship for me was that I was feeling like I needed support and I needed playful energy that one of the partnerships I had in that relationship was someone I got to be really boisterous with and wrestle with and like let off steam and prank. And it was like this really youthful kind of high energy, joyful intensity, and so that was really, it was a, it was a huge like release and relief when I got to be in relationship with that. And then the other partner in the triad was a woman who has also become one of my closest friends. Um, 
we hosted a, a show on uh, Facebook Live um, called Naked Sex Talk Tuesday <laughs> for about <laughs> a year, year and a half. And we would show up and talk about different topics in sex, which was really fun. And uh, I was also dating. I had a boyfriend at the time who I dated for a couple of years. And at the start of COVID, that relationship ended. My triad kind of ended pretty abruptly, like a few, maybe four, four or five months in. And, um, I ended up dating, uh, Maria Palumbo's husband. And we kind of were like, Hey, we're, we're both pretty strict with our COVID protocols. And I know we've been around each other and we've been friends for a couple of years. I really trust you though. I'm wanting more connection. Can, do you think we could make something work? So we kind of negotiated what we felt like worked with for us. And, um, and then I met my now, uh, partner. I call him my partner. He's the one I'm building life with. He's the one that we, we do all the mundane life things together, um, and support each other in kind of every way in our lives. So I met him and that was, I feel like the, the first relationship out of my marriage was, um, I feel like I was using it to meet a lot of needs. I was using it to like have my relief, my support. I was afraid of being alone, all those things. And it became very apparent that if you're letting your survival strategies kind of make your decisions and choose your relationships, they're ultimately not actually a good fit for you. <laughs> so I learned that and I got really clear, really clear around what I was available for, what I was not available for in relationship what I was desiring, um, what fears I was bringing to a relationship and kind of got to navigate that right off the get go with my current partner. And, uh, we have a beautiful relationship. Uh, we mostly play with friends. I do kind of have my grandfathered in boyfriend. I don't really have the energy or capacity to date romantically and lovingly on like a consistent basis right now. I, there's a lot that's transitioned in my life in the last few years with career and school and partners and living situations. And so that's, I'm perfectly happy there right now. We have our friend group where we do our play parties. Uh, I'm with my partner almost every day and I have a boyfriend that I see a few times a month and I feel very complete. <laughs> Yeah. Which is still a lot to juggle. Yeah. You're telling me. God, just the schedules alone is a lot to juggle. Oh my gosh. I love it. Well, and and I one thing that I maybe like to touch on is, and it almost seems in, in, in opposition, but I don't really think they are. So one, you said a few minutes ago that you don't think you're capable of only loving one person, but you've also landed in the spot of I don't really need another maybe like deep committed relationship right now. Like you said, you don't have really the capacity. You've got like this sort of nesting or not nesting, but you're, you're what you're calling your partner. Yeah. And then you have your, your boyfriend who you see a couple of times a month. And that's not to say there isn't love there, but like just sort of that dichotomy between like, I feel like I, I can't only love one, but here's where my capacity is. And I think, yeah, we I, all have to I find that for ourselves. I would yeah. love to speak speak to that because I I I still hold true that I don't have a cap. I don't have yep. a certain capacity for loving. I do have a certain capacity for relating. 
and time, right? Mm -hmm. And energy. (laughs) So um, I would say that even even the sprinkling of lovers that I mentioned at the beginning, I I have deep love for them, but we don't have consistent relating agreements. Yep. So it's, I, I do, I like to be, I like to be in partnership in life. I like to, I love passive time spent together and doing the, the lame life, boring things together. And that's, that brings me great joy. And I, I, I literally am not physically capable of having that with you know, more than two people I'll say. Right. And even that is hard unless you're all living together, which I made work in my, in my marriage for four or five years almost. Um, that was great when we were all living together and we all had great relationships and we were all committed to the family. And, uh, but especially if you're not living together, your time literally has to be divided. And so I do find, and my, my current partner does struggle with that a little bit, that there is, um, those two things are not conflated for me. There's like, I can spend time away and not, not have to sacrifice any love for, right? Like time spent doesn't equal love for me. And there are kind of different forms of jealousy or insecurity that come up. And sometimes dividing time does feel like dividing love. And so that can kind of be a challenge that can arise sometimes, even though the rational mind and the heart knows I understand this person loves me. I understand that that I'm in their heart, no matter who they're with or where they go. And it can still be a struggle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for answering the question much better than I asked it. Because that. <laughs> that's exactly what I was getting at is like the idea that like you have infinite love to give, but you only have 24 hours in a day yeah. and you only have seven days in a week. And so what are you going to do with that time? And how do you then share your love in a way that that feels good to you, but also stays within the amount of time that you physically have available? Yeah. And I mean, it's a lot of conversations, sometimes difficult conversations and like reworking agreements and doing those check-ins where I'm like, hey, I was okay with this last month. I'm feeling like I need something different right now, depending on what's going on in my family life, my work life, my physical health, my mental stress or anything. I mean, we are, we are very variable and complex beings as individuals. And then you have the, the, the energy of the actual relationship itself, as well as you two, as well as any extras, you know, on the perimeter. Uh, So it can be a lot to juggle, which is why, I I like to talk about having hard boundaries and then having kind of flexible boundaries. Like this is what I think is a boundary and um, I'm kind of willing to see where that goes and how I feel and if it changes and different things of that nature. So it's just a lot of communication and making sure that everyone is feeling uh, like their core values are being met. So if my partner has a core value for inclusion and for transparency, right? Then those are the things that we go to first is how can we make each other feel included or how can I make him feel included and also not have to abandon my own needs and desires. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's huge. Do you mind giving just like for, you touched on the hard boundaries versus, uh, did you call it soft boundaries? Flexible boundaries. Flexible. Yeah. Do you just, I'm, 
thinking that the listeners might be curious, do you have examples of those that you'd be willing to share? Well, (laughs) I always have a difficult time, you know, when we go to conscious play parties and we circle up with different people and we're like, you know, name your boundary or fear your desire. And, um, I, I often have a hard time coming up with boundaries because I love living on the edge. That's where all my growth happens is on the edge. So I'm always very willing to try things, even if I think I'm not okay with them. But I'm also aware of the potential impacts that that could have on me, and I'm still consciously choosing it. So it's not like this blind, I have a boundary and screw it, let's do it anyways. It's like, it is, it is fairly self-assessed. I would say if I have any hard boundary, something I'm not willing to explore is mostly around my safer sex protocols, which is I don't, I don't sleep with other partners. I don't have penetrative sex with other partners um, without barriers, without condoms. I'm only fluid bonded with one person. That's my partner. Um, even my boyfriend, we've been dating two years and we still use barriers for both oral and penetrative penis and vagina sex. So that's kind of my one hard boundary. I'm not willing to be flexible with that at all, um, mm-hmm. unless it's thoroughly thought out. And so I'm, I'm saying unless, like, I guess it is flexible, right? But I don't see that happening in my foreseeable future unless it was in a partner that I was integrating. We were integrating into our partnership with a plan for creating life together. And we were all tested and we, I trusted that they were uh, STI tested, sorry, and that there was enough trust there to know that we had the ability and communication skills to be able to be transparent around new partners or different things like that. So that's, that's a hard boundary for me mm-hmm. and a flexible boundary might say, I might say, um, I'm kind of only thinking of sexual ones right now. I'm trying to think of any like emotional boundaries. I do, I do have some emotional boundaries that might be flexible or kind of situational based. I would say a sexual boundary I have is, um, taking ejaculation in my face. I, I don't enjoy it. I don't want it. And it is flexible because if I set it up in a container where I feel like I'm at choice, I feel like I've consented to it. My, my, um, preferences are understood and I'm with someone I love and trust. Then it's something, and they are really desiring it. Then it might be something I'm, I might be flexible to, right? So that could mm-hmm. be kind of a flexible boundary, still a boundary, but like we can talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then I would think I have a lot of kind of, uh, uh, not a, well, yeah, I have a lot of emotional boundaries of things that I look for in partners or people that I engage with. Um, I have a, but I would call them maybe more preferences or ways that I discern whether or not those people are aligned with how I want to, um, behave inside a relatedness. And so those could be things like they're, they're in a relationship with a don't ask, don't tell policy. That's something I know doesn't work for me to be in relationship mm-hmm. with. And I, I understand that can work for some other people and it doesn't, doesn't work for me. It brings up a lot of my own personal triggers and that's not a journey I'm choosing to be on with someone right now of, of engaging with those triggers in a healthy way. Uh, also if, if, uh, hmm, I don't know. Those are, there's kind of a lot of relational things. Someone who's never done poly before. I am very poly. I have a partner and a boyfriend and I, I prefer not to be in relationship with someone that I also need to coach. 
uh, or, you know, that's, that's what I do for a living. I coach people all day long. So I'd rather be with someone who is, it already knows who they are inside of a polydynamic. So those okay. are boundaries and they're, and they're flexible because I can't predict what my heart might, might want in the future. I can't predict a situation or a chemistry. And so those kinds of things can be flexible for me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for, for sharing all of that. Yeah. And you, you, you wove in a lot of amazing things around sexual health and safety. Right. And so like, thank you which for are, doing which that. Which are typical things we ask. Of, yeah. We ask about those things. So. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, one thing that you said right at the beginning of that though, that I, and you, you kind of touched on it and maybe the answer is the same. I don't know, but you said like, I tend to live life kind of at the edge of like, just in general, life at the edge. Like I want to take risks. I want to explore and push, push limits. How do you do that in a way where you keep yourself safe, like emotionally, physically, all of the ways that like you can live life in that way, but do it in a way that, that is safe for you? Um, yeah, that's a great question. And I think that's one of the biggest motivators, motivators for me doing what I do in being a sex and relationship coach and educator is, is my working title right now. Um, but education is really important doing your own, or I'll speak, you know, from my experiences, me really doing my own healing work, my own, um, like trauma work, understanding how I operate, why I operate that way, and how, how to kind of be self-responsible with that is, is what keeps me safe. <laughs> it's because I know that as an autonomous, responsible adult, I get to make decisions and have consideration for who I'm gauging with and what that potential impact on them could be or on my partners could be. It's really for me about keeping kind of a 360 awareness and without going into caretaker mode, right? Or without kind of abandoning myself. It, it's always been a part of my predisposition to kind of live on the edge. And so that's something that I've had a lot of experience with learning about what is that like for me? What does it mean? And it really is like, I feel like open relating and exploring my sexuality and my kinks and all of that has really just always felt like an opportunity for me to learn more about myself and how I show up in the world. Yeah. I would really say though, it's, it's really what keeps me most safe when I'm like to live on the edge is education, having, having good support systems. So like my mentors, the way I mentor others, I also have mentors um, to kind of keep me educated and informed and, um, and then using my communication tools and skills and practices and how important it is to know yourself and be able to communicate what even living on the edge means to me, right? As opposed to what it means to you, because we all have different edges, so then, yeah. how, you know, you need to have the skills to be able to navigate and and collaborate on like, if my edge is way out here and yours is here, what, where then can we meet where you're not feeling overwhelmed and I'm not feeling bored, right? Like, where's the middle ground where we're both finding a win-win? So negotiating, and I say that in the most positive sense, it's like negotiating to find a win-win. Like, how can we make this work? 
And if we can't, thank you for this conversation, right? So like conversations is, is a, a huge, I mean, communication is, is safety for me. Right. Yeah. yeah. And the freedom to know that you can, if you need to set it down and walk away, right. Right. To protect yourself. Right. So like you want to push your boundary, you want to push your limit, but to also know that you can stop at any time and, and walk back to the safe, to your safe spot, to your safe place. And I'd love to offer a reframe instead of putting something down to protect yourself is putting something down to take care of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Cause protecting yourself is taking care of yourself like that. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. But I, I just, I always say that like, you know, one of the, one of my phrases is my boundaries are not against you. They're for me. Yeah. Right. Right. It's not like, it's not actually, it's not me pushing you away. It's just me taking care of me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that too. And Thank you for reframing that as well. Mm-hmm. I know we could keep asking you questions for hours, but we want to respect your time as well. Uh, we'd love for you to talk a little bit more about the work that you're doing and where people can find you. And um, also, if there's anything else that you would like to share and get out there in the world, please do that as well. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, what I really want to get out there is just my gratitude for you both. Um, I'm just so grateful for people that are really stepping out in the world and showing up in different communities for people to find. It's such, such a beautiful opportunity for people to find ways to connect with other people so they don't feel like they're alone in this. Um, there, we are kind of still in an era where Open relating is just kind of breaking through the secular world right now. You're seeing a lot of like threesomes and whatnot on TV, on mainstream TV, which is, um, which is, which is great because there's a desensitization process that's kind of happening and breaking the taboo of it. And it's also a lot of misinformation. So like having real people, having real conversations, getting to, to find support in that way is just, it's, I, I have such a high value for it. So this kind of work, I'm just really, really grateful for. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for that. And I was just, something popped into my head when you're like talking about like mainstream TV, like representing these (laughs) like threesomes or maybe polyamory. And it'd be like, it'd be like, three seasons of people talking and people be like, where's all the fucking sex? And you're like, no, no, you've got to talk for three seasons. <laughs> yeah. 25 episodes of an hour long each. And yeah. then you're ready. And then then, then you're maybe, ready then maybe, for some sex. Maybe. 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 <laughs> oh, if you're doing it consciously. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Oh, like I clicked, I clicked on this because I wanted to watch people fuck, and all they've done is talk for three seasons. So well, yeah. that's what it's well, like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, it. Well, it can be very exciting and inciting and creative as well. But um, right. yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so what I do is my my brand is liberateyourlove.com. and you can find me on Instagram as well at Brie underscore Riley. I really just support people on their journey. You know, I call myself a professional lover. Uh, I work with couples and more sums and individuals who are exploring their sexuality and maybe their sexual expression. Maybe they are dealing with challenges of 
um, trying to navigate relationships inside of triggers or bridging differences or finding creative solutions because they're operating in relationship styles that are new, that are outside that kind of the societal norm. And yeah, I just really, you know, I've got so much love to give. <laughs> That's kind of why I say I'm a professional lover. I just show up and it's kind of a fluid journey. I take people on a four month coaching package. I also offer periodic workshops and programs that I run that are usually more educational. And it's really just about navigating. Um, you know, I came from a world of, of swinger culture. That's kind of what was available to me when I was younger because it is more, uh, it's just more available. You can find it easier. And um, so I came from that world and I operated the swinger community for maybe 15 years or so, 10 or 15 years. And I found that there were a lot of people who were looking for something different, but it wasn't monogamy. And it also wasn't swinging. It was like them wanting to find their own way. So that's kind of my niche of who I support or, or people who are really wanting to create their own lifestyle by their design in a way that feels authentic and sustainable and like fully expressed with safety and, and feeling informed and empowered. Um, so I kind of work in all the realms of alternative lifestyle, whether you're exploring yourself as a kinkster or whether you're ex exploring a non-monogamy and what that might look like for you. And yeah, I, I love it. I love being on that journey with people. It's a, it's a, I, I always get to, I always get to learn more about myself and take away and feel more full and grateful after all the clients I work with, because I find that people are just always so ready and willing to show up vulnerably and, you know, with, with all that they have. So I really appreciate the, the clients that I have and I appreciate the clients to come. Yeah. I love that. And I wonder too, like, I imagine there's some element of that, that like, if you are doing something against the grain like this, a little counterculture in a lot of ways, you, I feel like you kind of do show up in a, in a way where you're ready and primed to like, go on a different journey, right? Like you're not, you're not shut down to that growth. Um, so I love that. And thank you for doing all that work you do. I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. And links to everything you mentioned will be in the show notes too, for people to go find. Yeah. I have one other question if you're okay, if you have an extra minute, Brie. Yeah, let's do it. So the, you, you kind of dropped in there, like you said, what was sort of available to you was swinger culture and the swinging world and that people are looking for something different. And you've mentioned, I think you said the phrase conscious sex parties, I think something similar. Yeah, yeah. So could you talk a little bit about like the difference that you feel between swinging and what your sort of new ventures into casual sex or conscious sex parties are and like what, what sort of pulls those apart? Because this is actually something that like, we, we spent the first 14 ish years of our non monogamy journey in what we would call swinging, but it never really felt like we belonged there. We kind of always looked for something different, but we didn't know what the hell it was. And so I'm curious, like, if you can talk a little bit about 
swinging versus conscious sex party versus just what you're doing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the, if I could name the observable differences in my experience, it's that the swinging culture and, and communities and events, they would be almost a little, they felt in my experience, almost a little nameless. They were a little more like anonymous, casual. It was very sex, like goal oriented. Um, it was very kind of, <laughs> um, yeah, like kind of hunter prey, like scoping out. It was a lot of mm -hmm. sizing up and peacocking and not that I'm holding, well, maybe I'm holding a little judgment. Maybe I'm holding <laughs> a little judgment against that world because it wasn't for me. Again, not like to yuck anybody's yum. If that works for couples, I support that. And I wanted connection. I wanted like connection at least I at least want to know your name before you grab my tit, you know, like that was really important to me. I wanted to be in a place that I considered safe and ethical where conversations were being had about safer sex practices and consent was being given before engagement happened. Like all of these things became very high value for me, especially after, um, really digging into a lot of my uh, childhood trauma, which involved a lot of sexual trauma. So really taking back like my body and my autonomy and not wanting to be in situations where I felt like I needed to protect, right? I did actually, I wanted to feel safe and free and still, and still know that I was at choice, right? That I was in consent to whatever was happening. And so... Um, I did eventually end up finding when I was hosting these monthly play parties, I did end up kind of attracting these groups of people together that were a part of the swinger community, but that were also wanting to be friends. <laughs> so it was kind of this middle of this bridge. Those parties became a bridge for people of people who only knew how to do the sex thing and didn't really know how to, and were kind of scared of integrating feelings or relationship. Um, or knowing how to have boundaries around those things or what they really wanted or letting, you know, there was a lot of kind of exploration in that. And although I wouldn't say that the parties I were hosting were quite what I would now define as conscious play parties, um, they were still kind of, they were like meet and greets with sex and way more conversation. Mm -hmm. yeah. And mm -hmm. now the parties that I attend and periodically host are, um, I would, I call them conscious play parties because we do things like opening circles where we get to show up and state who we are, what brought us here. Have we ever done this before? What's our edge? What, you know, we get into smaller groups. We practice naming your boundaries, owning your fears, stating your desires, saying no to people. We actually practice saying no to people receiving no, thanking people for their no, right? It's like there's a there's a, a whole different uh, culture that, that I'm so fortunate to be a part of a community who really honors and values that here. And we do the same thing at the end of the end of the parties, you know, we communicate what were some highs, what were some lows? Like, was there a time when you felt like things got crunchy or or you bypassed your own, your own boundary or how, how are you feeling now? And 
there might be support people there. I'm often a support person at these parties. We call them angels in my community where no matter what, at any point in the party, those people can be interrupted. They can be dragged out of a gangbang. And if you're needing someone to like talk with immediately and process something with, right? Like, so there's support built in. There's conversations that happen. We practice having safer sex, uh, like elevator pitches, uh, elevator pitches um, around your uh, talking about your STI results and when you were last tested, and if you have any risk factors since then. Naming um, your relationship agreements, talking about your your boundaries or your expectations. Like, if we have sex, what does that mean to you? Oh, it, oh, if we have sex, does it mean to you that you think we're going to get married? Because to me, if I have sex, it means um, you're another person on my checklist, right? I mean, like, those are two very different meanings that these kinds of things are important to discuss before you engage. So we actually just practice those conversations. And then once we create those safe containers and we have, we know where the barriers lie and what the expectations are and kind of what integrity we're holding for the group, Everything that gets to be inside of that, everything gets to be free and playful and safe. Everyone gets to show up and be themselves and name their desires and have their boundaries and not have, and it's, it can be so therapeutic to people just, just to be able to let go of shame or hiding or, you know, whatever it is that they're carrying. They're beautiful, beautiful experiences. And I, I hope anybody out there listening um, is inspired to create more conscious play parties because this, they feel like kind of, I, every time, every time I go to a party, I'm like, this is, this should be basic relating 101 monogamous polyamorous doesn't matter if you're an alien. These are the conversations that should be happening like on the ground level. Right. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> I know. Love it. Yeah. 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 Well, Thank, th- yeah. Go ahead. Thank you for walking through all of that and everything that you shared. Did you have anything else? No, I'm afraid to ask more because every time we do, it's 10 <laughs> minutes of amazing stuff. So <laughs> let's just, let's just agree that this won't be the last time we all talk yeah, and, right. and, it will, yeah. and it will satiate my need to keep asking questions. <laughs> there'll be more conversations oh i love i love when people when i leave people wanting more there you go well anticipation kink so that like (laughs) totally gets me up i'm like oh we're gonna do another call Well, I love it. I love it. Yes. Well, th- thank you, Bree, again for for everything that you shared today and uh, for the work that you do. And we just really appreciate this conversation. Um, so, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thank you, Emma and Finn, for having me. And uh, yeah, just again, really grateful. And I look forward to doing this again. It's been a total honor. Awesome. Likewise. Well, we can't wait. Have a fantastic sunny California day, and we'll talk soon. <laughs> And we're back. Thank you, Bree, for all of the work that you do and for coming on and sharing your story and being so vulnerable with us. It was amazing to talk to you and we had a wonderful time. And I am going to work on bringing my energy level up. To to, Bree's level? To 10% of what Bree's energy level is. Good luck. Good luck. (laughs) I'm currently at 2.7% of Bree's energy. (laughs) Yes. Good luck on that one. (laughs) 
Anywho, again, thank you, Bree. We appreciate it. And yeah, as we said in the intro, we have lots of stuff going on right now. We were on Multi-Emory's podcast just a couple of days ago. Actually, one day ago, if we're going to be real exact. But mm-hmm. it could be a couple of days if this is Friday and you're just getting ready for your weekend. Anyways, episode 384 <laughs> of Multi-Emory. Anyways, you're done talking, Finn. <laughs> So we had links in the show notes to that. Also, on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, you can find information about joining our Patreon community. It's growing every single day, and we absolutely love it. We're so grateful for all of you. And if you're interested in finding like-minded people, we'd encourage you to check it out. We also have shirts for sale. You can go and find those. They just say give love, as we mentioned in the intro, and we've been talking about the last few weeks. You can still buy those available on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. I say it a lot. I I just want to, I have a bone to pick. With what? With you. Okay. They don't just say give love. They say give love, man. (laughs) You're right. I should be more enthusiastic. (laughs) I know. I just got to a 4.7% of a breeze energy. Did you see that? There, did um, you feel it? I, I did feel it. I think everybody you, you felt nailed it. it. You everybody nailed it. it. You got a little more to go, though. <laughs> Just a touch. <laughs> but yes, to Finn's point, they say give love and they have our logo in the middle. They're super cool shirts and um, they do not say the name of our podcast on it. So we wanted to uh, people to be comfortable wearing them wherever they want to wear them. So um, we're excited about them. Go With or without pants. Right. With or without pants. Yes. It and goes with any lower <laughs> outfit. Any 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 accoutrements, accessories. Any accessories? A kilt? Yes. It could go with a kilt, I would imagine. I yeah. would imagine too. Goes I don't with have a kilt, but if I did, I would probably wear not wear it because I don't like wearing pants. Oh my gosh. Okay, we're <laughs> down a rabbit hole here. The last thing we wanted to mention, actually, I lied. It's not the last thing. While you're on our website, you can also sign up for our meet and greet on August 30th. Those are open to everyone. You just have to be open-minded and respectful. You and don't have to have a shirt. No, you don't have to have a shirt to join the meet and greet. It's optional. It is optional, but highly encouraged. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't have to not wear pants. You can wear pants. Look, you can show up any way you want as long as you are decent and respectful to everybody. That's yeah, what and, that's what I've been trying to say. And you do actually forever. need to wear some clothing because nudity isn't allowed on Zoom. <laughs> World's longest outro. All right, I think we've got everybody locked in for the well, meet and greet. Yes, and then the last thing that I was going to mention is let's, while you're over on our website, while you're there, there's more to do. Let's do some more things. <laughs> uh, you can go and check out our favorite way to get tested for SCIs, SCCheck.com, and it's super fast and it's. Re- discreet. We love it. We use it. We'd encourage you to go check it out. Using the links on our webpage supports the show and you get a $10 discount. So we greatly appreciate you doing that. Thank you. And that's all I got now. That's all you got? Yes. I have one more thing. Go for it. If you wear your shirt. <sighs> yes. Hold on. You, you. I'm waiting for it. Yeah. you're. If you wear your shirt to get STI tested. And you somehow snag a photo. Uh-huh. And you send us that photo and we're okay using it like on uh, Instagram, uh-huh. we'll find a way to get you an STD check gift card. Oh, good, good thinking. So, if you can make that happen, we would love it, and it would be amazing. So, a photo, a give love shirt photo while you're getting your t- your STI test. Correct. Well, preferably the blood drawing part. <laughs> Not the cup peeing part. Let's be specific here. 
Let's be suspicious. Let's be. <laughs> they're here. They're, they're, we've got them hooked. This is a captive audience. This here. is a ca- these are these are the diehard fans. So yes, while you're giving the blood part, or maybe even maybe just band aid it up afterwards. Would yeah, be fine. while you're at the facility, maybe. I, it's really not that big of a deal. The point is, we we. We encourage you to go get tested. That's that's really the whole point here. <laughs> Let's just all be awesome sexual health advocates. Thank you for using the links. Anybody who's done it in the past and anybody who does it in the future. If you do send us a photo, we will figure out how to hook you up with a gift card. We will. And just to clarify, Emma and I use this service as well. It is our favorite way to get tested. I think she kind of said that. I did say that. But I wanted to reiterate it. And the next time I go, I'm going to be wearing my shirt and pants. <laughs> Okay, I think this is the longest outro ever. Are but we good also the best outro it's ever. It's probably pretty high up there, yeah. Uh, I don't know if people would agree or not. We still didn't reach 10% of Bree's energy level. But we'll know if they agree because they're going to go to our website. And send us an email. And they're going to send us a voicemail <laughs> a telling voice us how much they love this outro. <laughs> and how much they love STD check. And then we can use that as a testimonial. And we don't ever have to talk about it again if we get enough. That's true. All right. Okay, next week. Are we done yet? <laughs> next week, what do we got? We got an interview with Pan. Mm-hmm. This is a super fun conversation. We're excited about it. Uh, he's coming to us all the way from Europe, and we have so much great conversation about just lots of amazing stuff. And I don't want to give too many specifics. I think that's been vague enough. What do you think? Yes, I think it's good. So thank you, everyone, for hanging in here with us thank you you one person who are still here at the end (laughs) we love all of our listeners and we're grateful for all of you and yeah we just obviously had some fun with this today i love it let's go so you can get along with your day and go listen to our conversation with multi-amory from yesterday bye everyone thanks for listening